0: Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to open up to Daniel chapter 6. This last week we got right up until the lion's den, but we did not enter the lion's den this morning. We will enter the den of hungry lions. Daniel chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse 15 uh, through the end of the chapter. Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or statute which the king established may be changed. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet ring of his nobles so that nothing might be changed in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting and no entertainment was brought before him and his sleep fled from him. Then the king arose with the dawn, the break of the day and went in haste to the lion's den. And when he had come near to the den, when he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, and also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. The king then gave orders that they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and cast them, their children, their wives into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in all the land, may your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. And he delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lion? so this, Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius, in the reign of Cyrus the Persian pray God what a wonderful testimony of your goodness and your grace. What a wonderful testimony of your providence and your care. Lord, may this morning may we see application in your word. Lord, may you take and convict us of sin. May you encourage us to obedience. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. I want to back up for a brief second and just remind us of where we were last week. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, the scripture says that as was his custom or as was his habit, that Daniel continued to pray even though he knew that it was against the law. Look at verse 10. (coughs) Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered into his house. Now the roof chamber, he had his windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, Praying, giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. It's noteworthy to recall that in the midst of a real threat, that he habitually prayed. Now, it's easy for for us to criticize habit or or the ritualism that is here in Daniel chapter six, verse ten. It's easy for us to to, to cast a a judgmental uh, uh, lot upon this this habit of prayer we say see that there was there was no sincerity there was no genuineness to the prayer of Daniel he just he just did it because it was his habit he just did it because that's what he did morning noon and night that 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 it was his custom that he habitually prayed and and there's no spontaneity to it there's no genuineness to it there's no sincerity to it but I think that 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 is not the emphasis that the text gives us I think what the text gives us is that it is the habitual prayer that is done in the midst of the threat. That, that while, yes, it was a habit, while, yes, it was his discipline, while, yes, it was that which was done without thinking, it was that which was done. That Daniel hit his knees every morning, every noon, every night, and he prayed to the Lord, regardless of what the circumstances were in his life, that it was done that he, he, so he brought his supplications, he brought his intercessions to the Lord, and that it was continual, that he did it regardless of the circumstances in his life. And I believe that, that it was this discipline that led to his faithfulness. It was his habit that set him free in order to be faithful. See, if we wait for crisis to come in our lives and then begin to, to put ourselves in the habit of prayer in the habit of seeking the Lord in the habit of, of studying Scripture, by then it's too late. I believe that it was his habitual prayer, his lifestyle of prayer, that greased the wheels of discipline, that, that that allowed for that moment of faithfulness because as I said last week, I believe that the battle, the miracle, was not that Daniel was spared from the lion's den, but that Daniel was faithful in the midst of the crisis. Now, as we leave Daniel chapter six verse ten. I want us to realize the king did not want to throw Darius into the, or to throw uh, Daniel into the lions' den. Look at look at the end of 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 uh, verse fourteen. As soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel even until the sunset. He kept exerting himself to rescue him. The king did not want to follow through with this edict. The king did not want to follow through with this this discipline or this, this judgment that was coming upon Daniel. He didn't want to cast him into the lion's den. But notice verse 15. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, recognize, O king, it's a law of the Medes and the Persians, no injunction or statute which the king established may be changed. Daniel could have, he could have placed his faith and trust in the king. And we're going to get back to that in just a little bit. But I want us to notice verse 15, the wickedness of the conspirators. Verse 15, look at what it says. Then these men came by agreement to the king and they said to the king, and that word in the Greek, actually that, that word in the Aramaic, and he said to the king is a participle. And, and that means that the, the intonation and the implication of that word right there is that they continually said, or they kept saying to the king. And so this was not one time they walked into the king and said, oh king, by the way, you just signed this edict and now we have to follow through. But it was the idea that they kept saying to the king, that they kept Holding his feet to the fire and saying, "Lord, you uh, saying to the king, you have signed this edict. You have to follow through. You have to to enforce the law that is on the books. That that these conspirators, that these 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 people who had it out for Daniel, that they continually peppered the king over and over and over and over again. That they maliciously charged Daniel and they 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 sought to bring about his demise. If you notice, there." Their accusation. Look at verse 13. Then the king answered and spoke, then they answered and spoke before the king Daniel, who was one of the exiles of Judah, pays no attention to you or king or to the injunction which you sign, but keeps making his petitions three times a day. Now, I want to notice the nature of their accusation. They told the king, as Daniel defies your law, Daniel, in turn, defies you, O king. The principle of their argument is sound. When our children disobey us, they're essentially disobeying the God who has given us authority, charge over us. I was so touched the other day. You know, occasionally, once in a blue moon, your children will give you some insight that, you know what? they might be okay most of the time we go my, my wife and i go to bed at night and we're thinking what in the world was god doing giving us these children we are going to completely <laughs> screw them up they're going to be uh, com- complete you know wrecks whenever whenever they enter the world they're going to be jobless living with us till they're 50 you know th- this is this is not going to end well but occasionally they'll give us some insight that you know what god may be working in spite of us the other day, Nicholas had done something, and 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 he had been disobedient, and uh, he was then sent in his room to uh, to wait for Dad to get in there to to hand out the inevitable. And so Dad walks in, and and I sit down with him, and I said, Nicholas, do you do you know why you're going to get a spanking? And he said, Yes. He said, Because I was disobedient. And I said, Why are you going to get it? Why is why is that? bad for you to disobey mom and dad and he said because when i disobey mom and dad i'm disobeying god and all of a sudden it was it was it was that moment that he gets it and and it was but it, it was short-lived it was short-lived it was much like it was much like peter's peter's uh statement uh from uh, of christ thou art the son of the living god Blessed art thou, Simon, for God has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And then five minutes later, Peter's saying, yeah, but we're not going to let you get killed. And Jesus is like, oh, you just don't get it. And so there was this, there was this moment of epiphany for Nicholas. He's, he, he said, because God has placed you as, as, as our authority, and when we disobey our authority, we're ultimately disobeying God. The statement that they bring, the accusation that they bring against Daniel was in principle a right statement. To disobey the king's edict and the king's command is to disobey and disrespect the king himself. And so we must understand that as well, church, is that whenever we disobey the the laws of God, that it's not that we are that, that that we are disobeying a law or that we're breaking a commandment, but that we are rebelling against God Himself. That whenever we fail to be obedient to the smallest of the laws of God, that we are we are communicating our rebellion and our dissension and our usurping of his authority and his sovereignty, essentially telling God, I know better than you. They bring these accusations against Daniel. And it would have been easy for them to bring the charge against Daniel and the king to say, but you know what, I'm king, I do what I want to do. But they kept saying, they kept peppering the king. This is Satan's standard operating procedures to tempt, to test over and over and over and over again. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul encourages the church at Corinth. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common demand. and God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able. But with every temptation, provides a way of escape. He was to, communicating to the church. As soon as you think that 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 you have that you have risen above this 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 sin or this this disobedience or this level of of, of wickedness, as soon as you think that that you have accomplished it, take heed lest you fall, because Satan will never stop tempting. He will never stop attacking. He's a roaring lion seeking those whom he'll devour. He is a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the only time that he will end is in the last day whenever the Lord Jesus cast him into the lake of fire that burns for all of eternity. Until then, Satan, like these malicious accusers, are going to continually entreat the king. He's going to continually accuse the brethren... Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, describes Satan very specifically. I want you to flip there, if you will. Revelation chapter 12. This is how Satan is described. Verse 10. Now, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has thrown has been thrown down who accuses them before our God day and night the accuser is accusing us we he is called the accuser of the brethren and it wasn't just one accusation he brings against us but over and over continually day and night he is accusing the brethren that is the 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 mode of operation that is the standard operating procedure of the enemy that he is continually Tempting and continually accusing and continually attacking his people. Matthew chapter 4, as we see the temptations of Jesus. Jesus is tempted three times by the enemy. And you say, well, three times, that's not bad. The number three in scripture is is symbolic. It is the number for completion. The number of perpetualness. This, This idea that Satan tempted Jesus three times was the idea that Jesus was completely and perpetually tempted from the enemy. The idea of continued temptation. That's the idea that these malicious accusers of Daniel were continually attacking the king. And it would have been easy for Daniel to trust his relationship with the king and saying, you know what, the king's never going to let anything bad happen to me. This world and its leadership will always leave us disappointed. Even godly men will leave us disappointed. The scripture gives us example after example after example after example of godly men. Who loved the Lord with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul, and with all their strength, yet were broken, sinful men and left Israel, left the church disappointed. Moses, godly man. The first person in, in, in the history of Israel to fulfill all three roles of, of, of both prophet, priest, and king. And, and the, the New Testament tells us that there will be one who comes after Moses in the same vein as Moses, that he will be both prophet, priest, and king. And, but, but Moses, even Moses, could not enter the promised land. Why? Because he disobeyed God. God said, speak to the rock. Moses struck the rock. And this is the man who spoke with God as a man speaks face to face. Aaron, the first high priest, the first one who would be able to go before, the, go before God and make intercession for his people. As soon as Moses was up on the mountain with God, Aaron gathered up all the gold, all the jewelry, melted it down, and created a golden calf and said, This is the God who delivered us out of the land of Egypt. David, Scripture says a man after God's own heart, coveted his neighbor's wife, committed adultery with his neighbor's wife, Conspired to kill his neighbor's wife, or conspired to kill his neighbor, one of his valiant fighting men, sent him to the front lines that he may be killed, conspired to cover up his adultery, his sin, said, My sin is ever before me. Not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. Peter, moments after he said, I will never deny you, I will never forsake you, he says, Jesus, I I, I don't know that guy, three times to the point of cursing, the king, this world, could not deliver Daniel, in fact, Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, flip over there if you will, the psalmist says this, While you have your finger there in Psalm 20, flip over to Psalm 146. This is an encouragement to us, church. Psalm chapter 20, verse 7. Some boast in chariots, some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. This world cannot satisfy. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Verse 3, do not trust in princes, in mortal man. In wisdom there is no salvation. His spirit departs and returns to the earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. How blessed is he whose help is where? The God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. He executes justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, The Lord sets the prisoners free. The hope, our hope is not in this world. It is not in the next king. It is not in the next president. It is not in the next governor. It is not in the next politician. It is not in this world. It is not in whatever leader can deliver us from whatever terrorist attack or terrorist threat that there is. That is not where our hope lies, church. Because this world is fleeting. It is not in the next politician that promises to fix the economy. It is not in this world. Our hope is in another world. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my disciples, my people would fight for me. But it is not of this world. This world has nothing for us. This world can and will always leave us disappointed. Our hope must be in God. We get back to Daniel chapter 6. I want us to notice two statements by the king verse 16 and then verse 20. The king gave orders, and Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den. And this is what the king said The king spake unto Daniel and said, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. In verse 20, when he came near to the den, he cried out to Daniel with a troubled voice. And he said this, Daniel, has the servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Both times when Daniel is going into the lion's den, and when the king shows up that morning after Daniel has been in the lion's den, the king asked this question. First of all, he says, the God whom you constantly serve will be able to deliver you. And then on that morning, he asked the question, has the God whom you constantly serve been able to deliver you? It is It was observed by the king that Daniel's service to the king was not empty piety. It was not ritualistic. It was not these simple words or or actions, but but that it was a a lifestyle of constant submission and constant service to his God. The king recognized that there's something different about Daniel's service to his God and the rest of the Persian world, the rest of the Babylonian world, the rest of the pagan world that that just gave homage to their gods but lived their lives however they wanted to live their lives. He made the statement that Daniel constantly served his God. Now here's the question I have for us. Would our peers say that of us that we constantly serve our God or would they note he's pious he gives lip service to his God but does he constantly serve his God what about our our co-workers what about our family our friends what about those in authority over you what about your children would they make the observation that you are constantly serving your God? I heard somebody ask this question, and I think it's a good question, and I'm just going to ask it rhetorically this morning. If you were on trial today, and the charge was that you were a born-again believer who lived his life in full submission to the Lord Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? There was enough evidence to convict Daniel, of his constant service to the king. Now, for the believer, the question that the king asks is the wrong question. Look at verse 20. And when he had come near to the den, he cried out with a troubled voice. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Now, I want us to notice. That from the time Daniel's thrown into the lion's den to the time the king shows up, are we given any insight in the text as to what's going on in the lion's den? No. You read verse 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. It's nothing about Daniel. It's not about the lions. It's not about Daniel. It's not about what's going on in the den. It's not about the angels showed up. The text gives us no insight. What is the text talking about? It's talking about the king. Then the king was troubled. The king fasted. The king couldn't sleep. The king woke up early the next morning. The king runs. The king asks. It was all about the king. Because Daniel was nestled in the hands of God. He was safe. He was, his hope was secure. Whether the lions ate him, devoured him, the moment that he entered the lion's den, or whether God preserved him, Daniel was secure. The text deals with the king. The question was never for the believer, for Daniel, the question was never in the ability of God. Go back with me to uh, Daniel chapter 3. We see this when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace whenever Nebuchadnezzar has them cast in verse 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king. We're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The issue is not ability. And Daniel understands that. The issue is not whether or not God is able to deliver. The issue is whether or not God will deliver. The issue in your life is not whether or not God is able to deliver you out of the circumstances or difficulty or hardship. Or whether or not God is going to keep you in the midst of them. The storm comes. Both the house built upon the sand and the house built upon the rock endure and weather the same storm. The difference is God keeps that which is built upon the rock while that which is built upon the sand is washed away. The issue is never God's ability. And Daniel understands that. For the believer, the question was never about his ability. I want us to notice Daniel's statement. Look at verse 21, 22. My God sent his angels and shut the mouths of the lions. Daniel responds to the king. "O king, live forever. My God. Not God. My God. Making a distinction because in a pagan world, my God, Daniel's God, the God of Israel, the God of Judah, the God of the exiles. My God has caused his angel to shut the mouths of the lion. God rescued and preserved Daniel. Daniel's only statement was, my God has delivered. What a powerful statement of Daniel. My God has delivered. Now, I want to camp out for just a few moments on what happens after the deliverance. Daniel's pulled out of the lion's den. Look at verse 23. The king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. But look at verse 24. Then the king gave orders and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel. You see, the king understood exactly what was going on back in verse 15 as these men continued to pepper and continued to push and continued to, to, to cry out for Daniel's head. The king understood what was going on. The king understood. The king's not an idiot. He understood that, that there was malicious conspiracy, uh, conspiracy that, that, that these men were out for Daniel's head, that, that they had a hidden agenda, that they had a motive, that they were desirous to get him out of power, out of administration, so that they could pursue their own agenda. The king is quite aware. In verse 24 it tells us that he had those who had maliciously accused Daniel and he had them cast and their children and their wives into the den and their wives into the den. Then they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed them. I want us to notice that vindication for Daniel also included retribution for his enemies. But I want us to notice how that retribution took place. Not by the hand of Daniel. Did you notice that? Daniel didn't get out of the den and say, all right, king, now I want justice for my false accusation. Daniel didn't seek his own retribution. Daniel didn't seek his own justice. Daniel trusted the Lord to provide justice. Daniel trusted the Lord to provide judgment. Look what happened. Who was it, verse 24, then the king gave orders and brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel. The king had them thrown in. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, Israelite law, Hebrew law, would have spared the families, the children, and the wives from any punishment or any judgment by the hand or or by the action of these men. However, Persian law is different. Persian law has their children and their families executed as well. Flip over with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 12. It's so easy in our human nature to seek our own justice and our own judgment. Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Vindication for Daniel involved retribution for his enemies, but not at the hand of Daniel. It was the king who ordered it. Verse 14, Paul encourages the church, bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind. But associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Listen verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Verse 19. Never take your own revenge. But leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Daniel understood the justice of God and the judgment of God is far greater than anything that I could ever extol upon my enemies. So he trusted the Lord to bring about justice. He trusted the Lord to bring about judgment. Verse 20, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is our charge, church. When those who are our enemies, when they spew venom against us, when they falsely accuse us, when they, when they criticize our character, do what is right. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, By doing what's right, this is the will of God, but by doing what's right, you will silence the ignorance of foolish men. Trust God to bring about His judgment. Trust God to bring about His justice. For the wrath of God and the judgment of God is so much greater and so much more complete. But pray for those, pray for your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that they may repent and come to salvation. Go back to Daniel chapter 6 as we conclude. The judgment of God was poured out upon those who sought to do evil, who sought to do wickedness. And then I want us to look at the statement, the decree in verse 26. The king makes a decree. That in all of the dominion of my kingdom, minister fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever. Now we have just seen Nebuchadnezzar, we've just seen Balshazzar, and we've just seen Darius. And Nebuchadnezzar was told a to dream. That after you there's going to come a kingdom and that kingdom's going to rise and that kingdom's going to fall and after them there's going to come a kingdom and that kingdom's going to rise and that kingdom's going to fall and then there's going to be another kingdom. It's going to rise and it's going to fall. And then Belshazzar has this dream and it says, your kingdom is going to fall and you're going to be overcome. And then here Darius has just overcome the Babylonian kingdom and now there's the Persian kingdom and there's been this turnover after turnover after turnover. Notice the language of the decree. For he is a living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. What has Persia just done? They've destroyed the kingdom of Babylon. And what will happen to the Persian kingdom? It will be destroyed by the Greeks. And what will happen to the Grecian kingdom? In the empire, it will be taken over by the Romans. And we see this this happen over and over and over again in history. One empire falls to another empire who falls to another empire who falls to another empire. And believe it or not, church, there's coming a day whenever America will cease to be what it is. And the kingdom that comes after that, if the Lord tarries, that kingdom will fall as well. But notice the decree of the king. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. His dominion will be forever. The king, who just understood the temporary and the temporalness of his own kingdom, makes this statement about the kingdom of Daniel's God. That there will be dominion forever and ever. Not like the Babylonians. Not like the Persians. Not like the Greeks or the Romans. That the kingdom of God will endure forever. Church, The theme all throughout Daniel is God's kingdom will endure forever. And he will indeed deliver those and rescue those whom are his. But the the caveat is you've got to be his. Notice who's not delivered. The malicious conspirators are not delivered. The sorcerers are not delivered. Those who conspire to do wickedness, those who conspire to do evil, are not delivered. The Babylonians are not delivered. Those whom are his are delivered. The scripture tells us that he loves his children. And he gave his life for those whom are his. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, For those whom... There is a an individual response. There is a, a relationship in Romans chapter 8. A predetermined that, 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 that for those whom God knew. For those are the ones that he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. For God gave his life for those who are his. This morning, my question is, are you his? Are you born again? Have you given your life to the Lord Jesus? Have you surrendered your will to his will and say lord i don't want to try and live my life on my own i don't want to try and garner your favor i understand that jesus has already garnered your favor i want to trust in him because church there's nothing that we can do to be good enough to garner the favor of god the scripture tells us that we are born in sin it says in psalm chapter 51 david said in sin i was conceived and behold i was brought forth in iniquity why do our children lie, cheat, and steal? Because they're born that way. Because we're sinful people by nature. And given the choice between good and evil, we're going to choose evil ten times out of ten because we are by nature sinners. Oh, we may whitewash it so that it appears to be good. We may put a pretty bow on it, but it is still wickedness, selfishness, idolatry. If we trust in our goodness to garner the favor of God, we will stand before God guilty. However, Jesus said, I came not to abolish the law, but that the law might be fulfilled in me. And as Jesus perfectly, completely fulfilled the law, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to become sin that we might become the very righteousness of God in what we could not do, Christ did for us. And that if we would place our faith and our trust in Christ, we would be His. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, All those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if we will trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, we will become His. We will be born again and we can be assured that God will deliver us. Not because what we have done, but all because of what He has done. Let's go to the Lord with the word of prayer. Father, there are those here this morning, there are those here this morning who've never been born again. They've been relying upon their own righteousness, their own goodness, to garner the favor of God. This morning, you've revealed your truth that you indeed deliver those whom are yours. And someone this morning is to give their life to Jesus, that they may be born again, that they may be his. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come. Maybe this morning, maybe you were encouraged maybe you're encouraged this morning that that as God vindicates the righteous judgment belongs to him maybe you've been holding on to bitterness, anger and you need this morning to come to this altar and indeed say vengeance belongs to the Lord pray for those who persecute you. Maybe there are those of you this morning who've been trusting in this world. And God has revealed to you this morning that we can't trust in the princes, chariots, or horses. We must trust in our God. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart this morning through his word. May you find yourself obedient. As we sing this hymn of invitation, may the Holy Spirit have his freedom to move in this place. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen.